Welcome to the 89th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we have a lot to discuss. Uh, we're going to start with a basic state of the podcast since it is uh, the first event in the first podcast of 2023. So I'm going to kind of quickly address what the podcast is going to look like going into 2023. Once we're done with that, um, we're going to talk about MMA news. Um, if you're not up to date, there has been a lot of news and uh, you will be quite surprised, but I imagine a lot of you have already seen the news, so I won't be breaking anything or anything, but I do um, have a lot of opinions on what has transpired recently in the news, so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk a lot of different angles on some of those bigger news pieces. And when we are done with that, we are going to do a recap for UFC 267. Now, um, to start um, with the um, state of the podcast, so basically, right, um, end of 2022 was not great for the Head Kick KO podcast. Uh, fell a little bit out of a regular posting schedule, right? Um, obviously not great. We had some bad cards. We had some weeks where I was very busy and couldn't get to the podcast. Um, heading into 2023, uh, the goal is to have a podcast every Sunday um, unless there's a week where there's no card and there's not really a good enough news section to cover it up, um, which was the initial post schedule when we started, um, and we have kind of waned away from that. Um, so we're going to try, I'm going to do my best to get out of that habit of missing episodes, um, even if I have to record late, that's better than missing in general. Um, and then I also do plan on shifting the content a little bit, right? So traditionally, right, um, we talk about news and a recap, and I'll have separate episodes for previews. Now, heading into 2023, I think we're going to shake that up a little bit, and I'm basically just going to be talking about whatever is the most important, in my opinion. Right, so today is a good example of, traditionally, we would start off with Sean Strickland versus Nazardini Mavov, and I'd talk about it, and I'd talk about most of the fights on the card, and then I'd move on. Today, um, that's not going to be the way the show goes. We're going to start with the news because I think that is the most important, the most interesting. That will be the show's focus. And then we'll break into a UFC Vegas 67 recap afterwards, right? So um, for the rest of 2023, um, the plan is to cover what is most, the most interesting, the most important. Sometimes that will be fight recaps. Sometimes that will not be fight recaps. Uh, it just kind of depends on the schedule and what is going on obviously pay-per-views for example right uh, next week jamal hill versus glover Teixeira. biggest thing is going to be who won that bout right so that's what we're going to be talking about next week um so we're not completely ditching the previews or recaps that's not what i'm saying um but there is going to be a shift uh, a little bit and in terms of Previews. Previews are going to have a slight change, right? Right now, I basically do analytics stuff, breaking down fights, what I what I'm thinking going into a fight, and then I pick a winner, pick an outcome, things like that. 
2023, I want to work in more betting, right? I think that is more beneficial to people who watch YouTube videos who are looking for betting advice. Um, and I just think that I can do both at the same time. There's no reason to focus solely on betting or focus solely on picks, right? I, I think I can do both. I can tell you um, who I think is going to win straight up, and I can tell you what I'm thinking from a betting perspective where I see good value and things of that nature. So that will be more of a focus in the preview episodes. And lastly, the other thing that I think um, we might start doing in 2023 that is of note is that I believe that I may be breaking some podcasts into two podcasts and making them shorter, right? So today, if I go an hour on, you know, news, I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to do another podcast um, that may be only 15 minutes or so doing a UFC Vegas 67 recap. Um, that way, you know, we don't get hour and a half long podcasts where I, where I just ramble, um, not really rambling, but um, just going in in depth on a lot of different topics, creating a long, long show. Um, especially when I can create a clear divide, right? There's no reason the news has to be mixed in with a recap. So um, that's another thing to look at moving forward. Um, now that we've got the housekeeping out of the way, we're going to get into the real, real interesting things, which is Francis Ngannou is now a free agent. That is the top of the bill on the news. And since he is a free agent, we need a title fight. And that title fight has been given to John Jones, which I think we were all expecting that John Jones would be the next heavyweight title challenger. It was just a matter of whether the UFC would be able to come to terms with Francis and if Francis would be healthy. Ultimately, he was not, and the UFC opted for Surreal Gan in his place. Now, um, that will take place on, where is it at? March 4th in Las Vegas. So before we break into Jones versus Gan, we're first going to talk about Francis Ngannou becoming a free agent. Now, I immediately, the first thing that happens when this news comes out is you immediately see people taking sides, right? You see people saying, oh my God, who cares about Francis? Oh, you know, no one, you know, we don't need him. Jones versus Gan's a better fight anyways. Not true. You also see people, oh my God, yes, shout out Francis Ngannou. Oh my God, Francis Ngannou is finally out of the UFC. He's finally gotten what he's wanted. Uh, screw, you know, it's just people who really just hate the UFC, basically. Even though they love watching the UFC, they hate the organization. Um, and oh my God, Francis Ngannou's made history. He's made history. He's a legend. Oh my God, uh, those people are also idiots, right? The truth always lies somewhere in between the two, um, those two poles. And in this case, I don't really know who, I don't really know, right, if Francis should have resigned or if he shouldn't have resigned because I don't know what the contract he was offered is. I don't know the details of his contract. Obviously, Dana White said that he would be paid the most or he would become the highest paid UFC heavyweight of all time um, 
And if that is accurate, uh, I do think Francis Ngannou probably should have accepted the contract. With that being said, I don't know what clauses were in there, right? The UFC puts clauses in these contracts. I don't know, you know, maybe the UFC had some clauses in there that Francis disagreed with. Francis didn't seem okay. Maybe they had, you know, maybe it was, you know, a six-fight contract that they could extend to up to 10 years or something wild. Or maybe he really wants to go in box, and they said, under no circumstance, can you go box, right? They wouldn't even let him uh, negotiate, and they wouldn't co-promote in any fashion. Um, and maybe those things were leading him towards saying no. And I think those are um, those would be understandable things, but at the end of the day, we don't really know what exactly was in that contract. We do not know... Um, we don't know the specifics that are going on behind the scenes. So it's hard to say who is in the right. Um, did the UFC try to undersell him? How much, what, you know, what exactly does it mean to be the highest paid heavyweight of all time, right? Because he didn't say highest paid fighter of all time. So he's making more than Stipe, DC, Brock Lesnar. How much were those guys making? You know, is he getting paid $5 more than what the highest paid heavyweight was getting paid right is the highest paid heavyweight of all time is that 700k and 700k or 700k to show 700k to win what are the specifics in in that um i don't think we'll know i don't think we'll ever know but um i think the the thing here is that really rubs me the wrong way about francis and gano leaving is I understand the contract situation, right? So I'm not criticizing him for leaving if the contract wasn't what he wanted to be, but I just see the potential that Francis Ngannou had, and it sucks to not know what is going to come of that. Um, and as a fan, as a fan, that really, you know, kind of bugs me because I would have loved to see him play out his career in the UFC. Um, as a, you know, someone who likes to kind of discuss, you know, who is, you know, the greatest fighter of all time, who is the greatest heavyweight of all time, you know, who has a better resume. I, I, I enjoy debating these things, um, and I enjoy being hypothetical about looking at fighters' futures, but Francis Ngannou had a serious, serious case and a serious opportunity to become the greatest heavyweight of all time and one of the best fighters of all time. And that's tough to see that walk out without getting the outcome or getting the answer, right? Even if the answer is no, I'd rather us, you know, know the answer, right? Um, but when you look at Francis's resume, he's got an MMA record of 17 and 3. Two losses in the UFC. His organizational record is 12 and 2. Uh, those two losses, obviously, his first loss to Stipe Miocic and the Derek Lewis, which was, you know, technically he lost, but, um, you know, that fight was god awful. Um, and then he strings off six wins in a row. Win over Curtis Blades, Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, Stipe. And surreal gun. Not to mention, before his two losses, he had wins over Alistair Overeem, Andrzej Arlovski, 
Um, Anthony Hamilton, Bojan Mil- Milhakovic, did not say that correctly. Um, Curtis Blades, Luis Enrique. Obviously, from that um, string of six consecutive UFC wins, Overeem, Arlovsky, Blades are the names that stand out there. Now, Stipe Miocic. Stipe has four UFC title defenses. Francis Ngannou has a win over Stipe. They're one and one. And he has one title defense. Right? So, obviously, he's got some legwork to do if he were to get to that number four. And if he were to get to that number four, he'd have a better resume than Stipe because he's got a win over Stipe. Stipe also has a win, win over him. But in order for Francis to get to that number four, he would have had to go through John Jones for sure. And then you're looking at who he would have had to then beat, right? You can make a case that they would do the Stipe trilogy. You could make a case to be Sergey Pavlovich. You could make a case for Curtis Blades, even though Ngannou had already beat Curtis Blades twice, right? So... It, it, it really does look like if Francis could have won, you know, also Ty Tuivasa, you know, probably I don't think Ty's ever going to work back to a title shot or not back to a title shot, excuse me. I don't think he's going to work to a title shot. Um, he was very close at one point. He was one win away from when he fought um, Surreal Gan. Crazy to look at back at that now. If Ty Tuivasa would have beat Surreal Gan that night, uh, we do have Tai Tuivasa versus John Jones, which is absolutely crazy. Um, Tom Aspinall also would probably work his way into a title shot. I'd assume if Francis were to, you know, because we'd be looking at a year, two years down the line. Um, went off a little bit on an aside there. But my, my point is Francis Ngannou had serious. It's not hard to imagine the path of Francis Ngannou becoming the best heavyweight of all time. And if he was able to beat John Jones, where does he rank on the all-time GOAT list if he is the greatest heavyweight of all time and he has a win over John Jones? I'm not saying he's number one, but that's probably top 10. You know, the greatest way to win of all time, the greatest heavyweight of all time and has a win over John Jones, that would be a special, special legacy. And he had the opportunity to go pursue that. And it's frustrating to not, not see that, right? It's frustrating to not see that play out. And who do you point the frustration at? Do you point it at Ngannou? Or do you point it at the UFC for not just absolutely dropping a bag, right? Could the, like, Does the UFC offer him $5 million a, a fight, right? Would that get the deal done? What was the number that gets the deal done? I'd like to know. Um, if we could just have Francis Ngannou come out and say, hey, you know, the least amount that I was willing to accept to stay with the UFC on an X fight deal, we'll say five fight deal, um, was five million per fight. If that is the, you know, outcome, then so be it. And then we can kind of get a feel of, um. Of who should we who we should point our anger at? Um, but you know, at this point, I don't think we we will ever know. But like I said, that's where my frustration is at in this situation is Francis Ngannou had the potential to become an all time great, and and 
we're not seeing that through. Now, um, the the next points we're going to make about this fiasco is, you know, what happens now with Francis? Can Francis make more money outside of the UFC? Because ask yourself, where do you want to see Francis and Ganu fight? Where? Give me a location. Um, not a geographical location, a, an organization. Give me an organization you would like to see Francis and Gano fight in. What'd you say? It's Bellator, PFL, one, or you said bare knuckle, or you said boxing. Those are probably the five things that you said. Where does he go where he makes more money than the UFC? Right if one of those organizations are able to make that uh, work, um, for the purpose of this, we'll leave out boxing because he would make much more boxing Francis and Ganu, especially as a free agent where he doesn't have to co-promote. Uh, I don't think that is, you know, if he goes in boxes, he'll make more money. So, you know, that's undisputable. But if Francis and Ganu, you know, says, I'm going to sign with Bellator for a three-fight deal, I'm going to make more money or PFL, or um, one. Who does he fight that gets enough pay-per-view sales to make up for the amount of money that the organization had to pay him? So we'll go back to that $5 million number. Say Bellator has given him $5 million a fight. Who does Francis Ngannou fight that makes five, makes up that $5 million, Right. Um, a good enough pay-per-view to turn a profit for the organization and not just turn a profit, but make it worth their while, right? And we're going to run through the top heavyweights in the world that are not in the UFC. So this covers every organization. I just used Bellator as an example there. Ryan Bader. Um, I'm not sure that that, you know, sells that many pay-per-views. Um... Now, I'm just going to start listing. Valentina, Valentin Moldovsky, Linton Vassal, Fedor Emelianenko. Fedor might be the most interesting guy that you can pull from, but I also believe he's retiring after his fight with Ryan Bader, and I think it would be pretty, you know, almost borderline immoral to book Fedor versus Francis at this stage in at this stage in their career. To be fair, the UFC did it once already when they booked Cain Velasquez versus Francis. Czech Congo, Philip DeFries, Vitaly Minikov, Sergei Karatanov. Then you've got some guys over at ACA with Elikan Vakanev. And this is really testing my pronunciation skills, right? Um, Sel Selim Magrev Razulov, Junior Dos Santos, Ben Rothwell, Alexi Olinik. Ante Deja, Yuvenshki Goncharov, Mateus Schiffel, Bruno Capeloza, Steve Mowry, Tony Johnson, Muk Omad Vakalev, Denis Goltsov, Antonili Malikin, Right, once again, we're really testing the pronunciation skills, but we got a layup here. Daniel James, 
Tyrell Fontaine, Shamil Kazayev, Clidson Abreu, Alistair Overeem, Fabricio Verdum, Ali Isayev, Justin Willis, and Arjan Bula. Now, um, if you don't know what I just did, I'm I, I sure some of you know what I did, but what I just did was I just went straight down. I, I'm on Rankings MMA. Great resource to just get a list of fighters um, in every division because the UFC doesn't rank outside of the top 15. So go go head over to their website. But what I just did, I just went through and named every guy that wasn't in the UFC that who Rankings MMA lists as a top 50 heavyweight. And they have some other people who are ineligible for rankings, which was where Overeem Verdum, Isayev, uh, Willis, and Buller came from. That's why they were at the end when, in reality, they would have been um, closer around that around that top 25 spot. Um, for reference, Stipe is also in that ineligible for ranking pool. Um, that comes when you're inactive or um, moving divisions. So... Um, who does he fight that makes it worth Francis's time to take the fight? Who does he fight that makes it for the organization, makes it for, makes it, um, worth their time? Who is that person? Overeem, maybe. Verdum, maybe. Um, the Bulahar fight over in one is one of the better fights that can be made. Um, Fedor, like I said, that probably gets the most pay-per-view draws, but I don't think that fight is going to ever come to fruition. So who does he fight? Where does he fight him? I just don't see a lot of fights for Francis outside of the UFC that you go, wow, that's interesting. John Jones versus Francis. Wow, that's interesting. Sergey Pavlich versus Francis Ngannou. Wow, that's interesting. Tom Aspinall, Francis Ngannou. That's interesting. Stipe Ngannou, three. That's interesting, right? I I don't see that same. Oh, we forgot about Ilir Latifi. Sorry, um, but I just don't see that same level of attractiveness. Where are the pay-per-view buys coming from? And the first one will probably work out. The first one will probably work out. He'll probably go fight, you know, in an organization. Everyone will tune in because he's not in the UFC. Unless it's boxing, obviously. Boxing would change things. But the second one. Say he fights a bum in the PFL. What happens when he fights the second bum in the PFL? What happens when he fights the third bum in the PFL? You know, where are we making a career out of this? Or are we getting one big payday because he wants to retire? I just don't see a sustained ability with higher potential than the UFC. And who knows? Maybe Bellator will offer $5 million a fight. Maybe PFL will offer $5 million a fight. Maybe someone will offer an absurd amount of money to get Francis Ngannou in there. And will that organization be benef- Will they turn a profit on Ngannou? I-, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I'm interested. I'm interested. Now... With that being said, if there is one organization, also, side note, I forgot to mention, but 
the UFC contracts, offers and pay-per-view points. How many pay-per-view points does he get for Jones versus Nganu, right? He gets a lot of money off that fight. That's a million-dollar pay-per-view fight. That's the fight that fills your pockets, right? How much of you know? How much of the deal is guaranteed, and how much is based off how much Francis draws? That's another aspect of his fight that I, there's contract that I, I wanted to bring up that I forgot. But now let's let's move over to what organization should open up their pocketbooks. Sorry, what organization should open up their pocketbooks and overpay to get Francis and Ganu in house? And how does that help that organization? Well. I think this is interesting. I think this is very interesting because the PFL has a big opportunity. The UFC, if there's ever a time where someone can make an attack on the UFC's claim to be the, the best organization in the world, it's right now with the PFL. And if there is ever a time where an organization can, at least in the recent scope of MMA history, right, don't go, well, in 2000, when Pride was doing this, well, yeah, no no, no kidding. I'm talking now. Modern MMA, since the UFC has had a grasp on these organizations um, in the most recent five to the last ten years. Um, I think PFL was in a very interesting spot. And... <clears throat> will they capitalize? I think the PFL should make a run at Francis Ngannou and just absolutely throw him a bunch of money. Now, here is why. The number one thing that the PFL has, in my opinion, that makes them a much more attractive um, option that makes them a threat to the UFC is the PFL's partnership with ESPN. The number one issue that I have with a lot of these streaming services, or like in the modern like MMA landscape, is how do I watch a fight, right? I'll figure it out, right? I'm sitting here hosting a podcast. I'll figure it out. Other people who absolutely love the sport, probably people watching, you will probably figure it out. If you want to watch Francis fight somebody in, you know, whatever organization, they could be on Spike TV and you'll figure out how to watch it. You'll figure out wh- where you can watch it, you know, but in order for an organization to overtake the UFC, they don't need me. Well, they... Hopefully they need me to do media about it, but I think we're a little bit far off from that point. Um, Nonetheless, they don't need me and they don't need you to be the person watching. They need the 500,000 to 1 million people that know the sport but don't love the sport. That's who you need to take over. That's who Conor McGregor got to become the biggest star in the sport. Right, these UFC pay per views do 600,000, 500,000, 400,000. What's the floor for UFC pay per view? 300,000. What we're hardcore MMA fans are inside that 300,000, 
they're inside that 500,000. It is the next 500,000. And those people don't know where to watch the sport, right? Um, so if you get someone who fringe knows about the UFC, and all they know about the UFC is, oh, I can turn it on sometimes on ESPN. Or I can turn it on sometimes on ESPN+. Plus, Or if I want to buy a pay-per-view, I do it on ESPN+. Plus. The PFL's deal with ESPN makes that transition from watching the UFC to watching the PFL easier than anything else. And this is one of my issues with Bellator, right? Bellator will do things, and you don't know what is going on. Sometimes they're on CBS. Sometimes they're on Showtime. Sometimes they're on this. Sometimes they're, they're streaming the prelims on their YouTube channel. Same with one. Sometimes one is on Amazon Prime. Sometimes they've got it on the YouTube channel. Sometimes they've got it on this. Sometimes they've got it on that. That makes it hard for people to find your product. If it's not in the same place, right, people don't find it. And then they go, well, I'll just watch, you know, whatever's on Saturday night, right? I'll watch whatever's on on Friday night. I'll watch whatever's on. But the PFL's deal with ESPN, long story short, um, alleviates that massive, massive issue. <clears throat> in addition, the roster is far more intriguing, right? If they can go get Francis, now you have a UFC champion. Now you have the, I don't want to say the one, but someone you can build around, right? Um, the PFL isn't actually as talented as Bellator either. I think they're deeper than Bellator. I think the <clears throat> guys, you know, the 10th guy in, in the PFL, right? Like, how do I word this? Bell Bellator has, like, your Stats and your Pitbulls and your Usman Nurmagomedov, those guys, right? Those guys would be the best fighter in PFL if you drop them in there. Drag and drop, they're the best. But guys like Lachnain and um, Abdul Mercer and guys of this nature, those guys are good, good fighters, right? I think, okay, here's a great way to word this. I think PFL has more good fighters. I think Bellator has more great fighters. <clears throat> I think that's the difference between PFL and Bellator. But if the PFL goes out and snags Francis Ngannou, guess what? The best fighter in PFL and Bellator is now Francis. Might actually be Usman Nurmagomedov, actually. But you get the point I'm making. Is now we're having a discussion. Now I have to sit here and debate between the two. And we've gotten real crazy here. But um, the PFL has a real opportunity on their hands. And it shouldn't stop with Francis. The PFL's new super fight division has given the PFL an opportunity to construct a, a very interesting thing and put on tremendous fight cards. <clears throat> the PFL should make a splash with their with their new Super Fight League, and it shouldn't be Jake Paul. It should be Francis Ngannou versus Alistair. No, you can't do Alistair over Arena again. Anybody. Um, do for Doom. <clears throat> do for Doom. We'll do for Doom here. Do for Doom versus Francis. Do Nate Diaz versus anybody, 
right? Literally anybody. Nate Diaz. I don't know who Nate Diaz should fight yet. Do Anthony Pettis versus Eddie Alvarez. Do Tiago Santos versus anybody. Do... I don't want to say Marlon Moraes. Um... You could do Kayla Harrison versus the girl that just beat Kayla Harrison too. Or you could do Shane Burgos versus anybody to open the card. That's six fights, right? And I know I didn't give you specifics. You don't need specifics, right? Tiago Santos could fight anybody in the PFL. And that makes that slot on the main card interesting. Do that and see how many pay-per-view buys you get. You know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But you're not going to... You're not going to get there by slowly building just, oh, here's an old, you know, here's this, you know, you have to get eyes. Go and get the eyes. And then once you go and get the eyes with a massive pay-per-view card like that, or you know what, don't put it on pay-per-view. You, you the, It will be on pay-per-view, but you really want people to watch the sport. Don't, I, I could do a whole nother rant here. We're already 30 minutes in. I've already talked too long about Francis and Ghana, but if you really want people to watch this sport, you don't put it on pay-per-view because somebody who isn't that informed about the sport isn't going to spend $70 to watch something they're not that informed about, right? How many people would watch the Super Bowl if they had to pay $70 for it? Well, maybe today it'd work, but the Super Bowl Sunday hasn't always been Super Bowl Sunday. It hasn't always been ingrained in American culture. How did it get there with pay-per-view? If you put Super Bowl One on pay-per-view, how many people watch it? I don't know. I'm just throwing out questions. Um, maybe it does produce this to this level. Maybe it doesn't. So, But it, it probably will be on pay-per-view. That's just another side rant. Um, and once they go out there and... They start getting eyes with massive cards like that. You keep plucking guys away, right? Now, now fighters just saw that card. And if you can tell fighters how much other fighters are getting paid, you go and you figure out who you, you strategically pluck fighters from the UFC. Strategically. You can't just go out there and... Now, I'm not saying I want the UFC to fail. That's not what I'm saying here. But it's... I think it's easier than people think. I, I really do think it's easier than people think. The The PFL has the hardest part out of the way, which is the ESPN deal. It's got the hardest part. Also, get rid of your goofy season. No one cares. Um, but they have the hardest part out of the way, which is the ESPN deal. Now, the next thing you begin to do is you start strategically plucking fighters out of the UFC. Who's the first guy you target? Paulo Costa. Because if you look at the UFC rankings, let's look at this middleweight division. Take Paulo Costa out of it. That division isn't as, as appealing, right? It's just not as appealing without Paulo Costa. <clears throat> Go take one guy who could be frustrated, who could want more money out of every single division. One guy. Do you think Josh Emmett wants more money? What does Josh Emmett do if he loses? Right? Josh Emmett already wasn't upset at the UFC. Or already is upset at the UFC because they're not giving a, bu a bunch of money. Do you think Josh Emmett, if, you, if the PFL offered him a bunch of money when his contract is up, 
Do you think the PO, do you think Josh Emmett would say, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll bookie? Do you think Pantoja is happy with the UFC for the way that he has gotten stuck behind, you know, this four fight quadrilogy? You know, that situation may end up working itself out in the long run. <clears throat> you know, w- you want to get crazy? Where's Peter Yan's head at? You don't. You don't even have to land all these guys. Just ask the questions and make the calls and figure things out. Where is? Where's Marab's head at? Right. I'm sure Marab wants to be the bantamweight champion. But if Marab and Aljo sat down and had a discussion, and Aljo's like, "I'd like to stay at 135," and then Marab goes, "I can go be a champion elsewhere." make a bunch of money, and not have to worry about fighting Elzo, that could be beneficial to both our careers. So you can strategically pick guys out of here that could be very frustrated with the UFC. And maybe they're not, But and if they're not, that's okay. You go get, like, in Edson Barbosa. Edson Barbosa almost left the organization. Within the last three or four years, Edson Barbosa almost left the UFC. I think I remember talking about it on this podcast. Right, Edson Barbosa in the PFL would get eyes. Right, it's not hard to look around and go, who do we go after that could get us eyes? Lightweight, I don't see one sticking out at lightweight. If Benny Daryush keeps getting, Benny Daryush probably won't be the guy. You probably don't want to go after Ali Abdelaziz's clients. Um, <clears throat> but if Benil Daryush gets passed up by like, you know. How if if Fazif beats Gaethje, does he jump Bar- Daryush in line for a title shot? How long does Daryush get pushed to the back of the line until he, until he gets fed up? Same can be said for guys like Bilal Muhammad. Um, so that's just kind of like a brainstorming thing here. Of how how do you look at a roster and pick guys out? How upset is Magomed Ankalaev? Magomed Ankalaev, right? Just take the temperature, right? You could get two of the guys I just mentioned, one to two of those guys, and make a profound impact on the landscape of MMA. It's crazy. It really is absurd. What would happen if you plucked out a couple of elite fighters out of the UFC? You could do. You could make some change very quickly. I promise you. Um, that won't be enough. Last thing here. I know I've talked about this a bunch. Um, and we've got a bunch to talk about. But the last thing, the PFL, go scout, right? It's not hard to figure out who is going to be good, and it's not hard to jump the gun on the UFC in terms of signing some of these guys. And if they work out, they work out. If they don't, they don't, right? It's okay. Um, But jump the gun on some of these guys. Go get Saladin Parnas, for example. Should be in the UFC fighting with KSW. Go do what you can. Go get him, right? Saladin Parnas is the type of guy. How old is Saladin? He is, and I'm probably not pronouncing his name right, but um, he's the type of guy where you go get him, and in three years you're looking at someone with the potential, right, to be your stats, your pit bull. You're a guy that you can say, if we match this guy up with the UFC champion, he wins. Parnas is 25, and he's 17-1, and one, and he fought two times in 2022 and three times in 2023. 
and he's winning belts over in uh, KSW, and he is um, <clears throat> he is um, his only loss was very you know a fluky like clipped like on the back of the head you know from a punch, um, and you're like oh that's well that's a strange loss. Anyways, start plucking some of this regional talent. And start building up a deeper roster. I promise you, if you if you invest the money, it will work. It's not as hard as you think to dethrone the UFC. You'd be very, very surprised if you have the money. Um, you can do it. The PFL also just announced PFL Europe, where the winner of a European tournament wins $100,000. Well, guess what? There goes your Cage Warriors champions. I don't know how much they're paying Cage Warriors champions. But if you can get the guys in Cage Warriors to partake in UFC, in PFL Europe and make $100,000, you're doing good. And if you're interested in the behind-the-scenes working of how this podcast goes, um, you just saw a jump cut because I just absolutely smacked some water. Which, when I smack water, that means I just talked for way too long about one specific topic and my throat starts to started to hurt. That's what happens, um, and that is what we did. But hey, um, um, I, I hope that was interesting because I think we got a lot of interesting topics there. Um, moving on, John Jones versus Francis, or excuse me, John Jones versus Surreal Gone, March fourth. Um, I'm not going to talk too in detail about this or or the next uh, couple pieces of news, but this was some very simple stuff here, right? If it's not John Jones versus Francis, who do you do? Stipe. Stipe says no, allegedly. Where do you go? Where do you go? You go surreal guy. Very easy call, in my opinion. Um, I think the UFC made the right move. I, I, I do understand why someone like Curtis Blades would be upset. Um, another guy the PFL should target if they're actually um, trying to dethrone the UFC. You go get a guy like Curtis Blades. Um, sorry to bring that back up. Um, but, um, I think they made the right call here. Jones versus Gone, I think is a very, very good fight. It's a very competitive fight. Um, there's a lot of interesting factors here that I think would make for compelling storylines. Um, you have John Jones, who is the villain, right? And, and he's the UFC villain. And you have Surreal Gone who is the nicest guy of all time. Surreal Gan is such a nice and cool guy. So you have the nice, cool guy looking to prevent the villain of the UFC from making history. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, if John Jones wins, I will gladly say he is the greatest fighter of all time. And I don't think you can dispute that. Um... I really don't know how you do. Right now, I give it to George St. Pierre. Right, I'm not a John Jones like guy. I'm not saying that John Jones is the fighter is the great greatest fighter of all time right now. Um, but if he wins this fight, I'm ready to close the book on that discussion because you just took one of the biggest like outliers and differences between John Jones's and George St. Pierre's resume. One of the biggest outliers is 
George St. Pierre is a two-division champion. That's one of the biggest outliers uh, of their resume. It's one of the biggest differences. Um, John Jones completing that goal would be... um, would take away that advantage, and I think his would be more impressive. I think it's a harder thing to do. I think what John did, you know, obviously held the belt for a long time, but I think John moving up to heavyweight, going from 205 to heavyweight, I think is harder than going from 170 to 185. And George St. Pierre fought Michael Bisbing, and John Jones would have done it against Surreal Khan. And I think that is the big difference. And my God, if John goes and gets a title defense, we're putting the we're putting the cart before the horse here a little bit. But if John gets a title defense, it would be just you couldn't even like form a debate for George St. Pierre, in my opinion. You couldn't even do it. I, I I think that the win over Gaon would put you there, right? I think it gets you there. Like <clears throat> it closes the book. But a a title defense would absolutely just seal it shut for a very long time too. <clears throat> um, yeah. So I think that's pretty simple, straightforward. That was a fight to make. I'm glad they made it. Um, the Francis kind of release was the big news there. Um, this wasn't a surprise drop. You know, everyone was kind of, you know, we are gearing up, gearing up, gearing up for the John John's return. It's been. Oh, is it this day? Oh, is it this day? Oh, is it this day? Then you you itch closer and closer and closer to March, where there's two pay-per-views without a headliner. And, you know, you, it was pretty pretty likely that John Jones was going to be the the man for to headline one of them. So, I think the Ngannou news was the big news there. Now, um, Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman. March 18th, London, UFC 286. That fight was also booked, right? Um, once again, is anyone surprised? I don't think anyone is surprised. I, I, I don't think anyone is surprised. I think this was the fight that was happening. There were rumors about Usman not being ready. Um, those kind of came and went, right? Leon Edwards said, oh, he's ready. Um, Ali Abdelaziz said, oh, no, that's not true. He's ready. So I don't think there was, you know, serious doubt. I, I think at one point there was actually. But I think at this point now, I think that doubt is pretty much gone. Once again, fight to make. Not too much to say here. Um, the one thing I will say is I'm going to have a very hard time analyzing that fight. Because for me, it will come down to can Usman, or can Usman take... Edwards down? Can he hold him up against the fence? Can he do the things that he did from in rounds two, three, and four? Can he just do that again? Because if he can do that again, he'll win 50-45. Um, but I have, I really have no reason to think he can't, aside from the elevation. How much did the elevation affect Leon Edwards? I don't no, I think it's impossible to know. I don't think that was his best performance. You know, Kamara Usman trains at elevation. We saw the elevation affect other fighters. You know, that Costa uh, um, Rockhold Comain was the definition of guys getting tired due to altitude. 
Um, there was another couple. There was a couple other guys. I think it was the Santos and Gordon fight. I want to say we had some clear elevation effects. I, I believe there were a couple others, but I also think there were some finishes on that card, so we didn't really get to the elevation effects in some of those fights as well. That was a while ago, um, and my memory is not a hundred percent, but. Um, I do think the elevation played a factor. Is it a big enough factor to pick Leon Edwards heading into this next fight? I don't know. I've been thinking about it ever since we watched that fight, and I've been going back and forth, and I still don't have a definitive opinion, and I probably won't for until we see the fight, honestly. Um, also, another fight that got booked, which I am pumped for, March 18th, the co-main for that uh, Edwards Usman trilogy will be Gaethje Fazeev. Once again, this was the fight to make. Um, I think this was the fight that I was most surprised actually came to fruition. This is the type of fight that you're like, oh my god, that's a great fight, make it. And then you see Gaethje booked against someone else, and you know you see Fazeev versus like Armin Saruki, and you're like, that's a great fight, but uh, Gaethje was the fight to make, you know. So I, I am kind of surprised this fight got made. I think it is the correct fight. I think Fiziev has done enough to earn the opportunity to break into that big-time fight bracket in the lightweight division. I think Gaethje is a good guy to welcome him to that status. Um, I think Poirier and Chandler are two other fights that I would like to see for Fiziev in the future. But I think Chandler versus Connor is the fight to make. And I think Poirier, I, I think he's closer to a title, and I think he needs bigger fights. And I think that for Gaethje, a win over Fiziev is a good first step in terms of getting your name back in title contention. So I think this is good work for Gaethje and Fiziev. I think we've got a fun fight. I think this is good for the UFC. I think it's good for the fans. I think it's good for Gaethje. I think it's good for Fiziev. Um, I'm interested to see what we get out of this one. And the last piece of news. El Jamain Sterling said, I can't fight in March. And Henry Cejudo, Sean O'Malley, Cheeto Vera were all like, Oh, well, we need a vacant title. Oh, well, now I'm, you know, if I, you know, now we need to do Henry and Sean. And fans were livid. But the part of the conversation that was so brutally missed was that Aljamain Sterling said he wanted to fight in April. He said, I just can't be ready on that specific date. Give me another month. And people are talking about stripping them and interim belts and what are we doing, people? What are we doing? The sitting champion has the right to say, I would like this fight to take place a month later than what you've proposed. Right? And I think in some situations, that can get sticky, right? What happens if Leon Edwards says, I don't want to fight in London, I want to fight the month after. Then you're like, whoa, we booked this whole card in London for you, dude. Um, so things like that. What happens if Volkanovski says, well, I don't want to fight in Perth. I want to fight in March. I don't want to fight in February in Perth. I want to fight in March, right? And then you're like, well, how are we going to have a pay-per-view in Perth without you, right? So there are some things where you can throw some wrenches in there. But 
the UFC, we have, we've already seen the headline. The headline is John Jones versus Surreal Gun on March 4th. So we're going to have the sitting champion. They were going to be a co-mate. They were going to be a co-mate. Were they not, right? Who, who it was going to be the co-mate for one of the two pay-per-views in March. It wasn't going to be one of the fight nights. So now you're going, well, we don't need to have that fight on either of that date. We don't need it, right? The UFC needed Jones versus Ngannou. Excuse me, Jones versus Gan. Um, and the timing here does make sense, actually, because Francis was nearly a free agent anyways, so it makes more sense now just to cut him loose than just to let him go into free agency where you don't have the fight booked. You might as well just book the fight and say, go be a free agent, rather than wait two weeks for him to be a free agent, or I don't know the specific dates, but Francis was nearly a free agent, so. Um, but anyways... You're you're all you're doing is just uprooting the division and flipping it around and sticking it back in the ground and going, look, we just scrambled we just we just artificially just jumbled this all up and here's what you get. It's like uh, you know, sometimes those things happen. Your Prohoshka got hurt hurt and the UFC had to change some things around. That happens. Um, but there's no reason to uproot a division artificially so you can get a championship fight one month earlier it doesn't make any sense at all absolutely none none absolutely none none um and if it were any other champion other than Aljamain Sterling it wouldn't be a problem right if Alex Pereira told Israel Adesanya hey Izzy um I know the UFC wants us to fight in June but I'd like to fight in July Nobody bets an eye. Not a single person. None. Right? If Islam Makhlchev beats Volkanovsky and says, Benil Daryush, I'll fight you. And Benil says, how about we do it in May? And Islam Makhlchev counters and says, no, I don't want to do May. I want to do June. No one's going to go, wow, God. We've got to strip. We've got to strip Islam. We've got to. We've got to strip him. It just wouldn't happen. So I'm just here t- trying to defend Aljamain Sterling against just some idiotic, idiotic, idiotic just outrage against him. So that was all the news. That was all the news. We're sitting at 55 minutes, right? We'll keep this one episode. Um, my voice hurts from talking. I'm out of podcasting shape, guys. I'm out. Of, you know, I'm rusty. The voice. The voice is not built for it today. The voice is hurting. Um, so we're gonna clip quickly run through here, right? And one of the other things that I, I uh, when we're doing recaps, I don't think I'm gonna talk about every fight anymore. Um, it just gets too pointless. I don't need to give you an analytical breakdown of Catlin Vieira and Raquel Pennington. I'll tell you who I think they should fight next, but I don't need to give you too much of a just madness discussion uh, of that fight. Now, uh, to start at the main event, Sean Strickland versus Nazardine Imovov. Um, very good, or not a very good fight. It was a good fight, though. You know, nothing special, nothing crazy. You know, it, it'll be forgotten about in six months, but it wasn't incredibly boring. Um, 
You know, it won't be in fight of the year talks, but it won't be in worst fight of the year talks either. Fifth round was pretty solid. Sean Strickland did a really good job of making Imabov fight his fight, which I was really surprised about. Um, I was surprised about, you know, I thought Imabov had some skills that he showed in some previous fights that I thought would really help him here. I thought that, you know, he'd be able to land some shots moving backwards, which I thought would be beneficial. I thought his length, you know, he's he he's one of the few guys with a bigger better a better reach than um Strickland. And I thought that that would help him, you know, especially as Strickland looks to land jabs. But I think some of that unorthodox style of Strickland kind of got to him, threw him off his game. I think Strickland had a much better pace and cardio up until the fifth round. There was a switch there in round five where I think Nasruddin was, I think he was getting frustrated because he wasn't, he didn't really throw a lot in some of those earlier rounds you know he was outpaced early well not early well he was early but the middle rounds is where it really showed in my opinion um three and four specifically I had a bet on the over three and a half rounds and I was sweating there for a minute going I don't know that this goes over um so in some of those middle rounds Strickland really started to pick up the pace um and and Imabov wasn't getting much off so I think that might have been why where Strickland just threw a lot of punches there kind of caught up to him in that fifth round but at that point you know all he had to do was survive that fifth round and and he'd win um good fight for struggling to get back on track um uh i think strickland versus Paulo cost is the fight to make you know i think i still like costa versus whitaker i do i, I think that fight makes sense but what are we doing right i i if Otherwise, Strickland versus Cost is good. Brunson, they're doing Brunson and Duplassis. So maybe the winner or loser of that fight you could book. Maybe if Brunson loses, Brunson versus Strickland makes sense. You know, we're going to get a shakeup here. At least we have an opportunity to get a shakeup with Vittori fighting Delitze and Brunson fighting Duplassis. So for if, if Delitze and Duplassis both win, we're looking at two new fighters in the top five or six so that could provide some good matchups and maybe you do like a Strickland versus a Vittori for you know who who stays in that top seven eight nine range and who starts to really slide closer to that 10 spot you could drag and drop you know Vittori and Brunson you know what I don't think they should do is I don't think they should book it, the only thing that I don't want the UFC to do is do delete say and Placis if they both win. Um, you can do Vittoria and Brunson if they both lose or if they both win. But I don't think we should burn delete say and Placis against each other. One of them should then fight Cannonier. One should then fight Whitaker. Um, there's some things you can do there and kind of mix things up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Strickland versus Costa would be a good fight. Um you just got to figure out how much stock you put into a Nazarene Imovov win. Because before this fight, I would have said a lot. I, I really liked Imovov, but at the same time, um, I, I think Imovov's stock has dropped a little bit. So I guess we will have to see. Um, you also have Andre Muniz sitting there at 11. Um, I think it would be unfair to make Strickland fight seven. Uh, fight the 12-ranked guy on short notice and then have him turn around and fight the 11th-ranked guy. 
but I do think Imovov should be in, you know, a decent form of discussion. Uh, excuse me, Muniz, I think I said Imovov. But I, I do think should, Muniz should be in the conversations that we're having uh, among uh, about, about UFC matchmaking. Um, maybe Muniz versus um, Hermanson is the way to go. Um, for Imovov, Gaslam, that Gaslam fight, I mean, that's actually might be the best fight you can book. Just rebook that. Um, Imovov versus Chris Curtis, not a bad fight. Um, Duplessis or Delete say lose, then you can maybe do um, Imovov versus one of them. But once again, I'm not sure that it's the best idea to burn two of those guys. Getting one of those guys, two losses in a row, may not be the most uh, beneficial. Ige versus Damon Jackson. Um, Ige proved here that basically he is a top 15 fighter in the band, in the featherweight division, and Damon Jackson is not. And I think that's exactly what we saw. Ige did a really good job. Um, landed the hands, really. Uh, mixed up hands and hooks well to the head and body. Landed some really good body shots. Um, ultimately lands a, a short hook. That put Damon Jackson out badly. And it was 50K for 50K. And also, um, I'd like to give Dan Ige a shout out. Because he did one of my favorite things an MMA fighter can do in a fight. He's got Jackson circling. He's just circling like this around the edge of the fence. Just circling like this. Circle. And Damon Jackson just cuts him off his, with a kick. Just whack. Right? You're just walking right into the kick. It's circling into the kick um one of them uh, i i really enjoy that technique i think it's beneficial just get someone to run right in a body kick full speed he landed a really really nice one doing that um so shout out to danny gay because i do really um enjoy that technique and he did it and i think more fighters should do it as well and after he landed it right he lands with a big body kick he cuts him off and then that circling motion from Jackson uh, wasn't as circling, and then he's a little bit more stationary, and then Jackson starts landing, or Ige starts landing the hands more. Um, so it lands a good, impactful shot, and then he also is able to land the hands better afterwards because he um, affects the movement because, you know, if you're Jackson, you know if I keep circling, I'm just going get, to keep getting hit with body kicks. Um, he could keep circling and try and counter the body kick, try and step into one, land a big shot. But Damon Jackson isn't really the most uh, credentialed MMA striker. So uh, that probably wasn't a serious thought. Okay. Um, Ige, Ige, Ige. Um, who cares who Ige fights, right? Ige is going to be a fun fight. You could do Ige versus Caceres. I'm down. Ige versus Barbosa. I'm down. Ige versus Yusuf. That's a fun fight, but I do think Ige deserves someone above him in the rankings. Ige versus Mitchell. Um, it feels a little nasty to have Ige have to fight Mozart Evelev and then have him fight Bryce Mitchell two fights later, but that's not a bad fight. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure if the UFC would push him back up to Ila Toporia Giga Chikatse. Uh, levels, but I do think if he's able to get one more win, um, those would be fights that could be potentially booked. I'm really interested to see what the UFC does with Giga and Ela. They might book them up against, no, they're both Georgian. They wouldn't book them up against each other. Um, 
but Giga's already lost. Got that loss to Kevin Cater. Um, you've got Korean Zombie sitting there at six, but he had to pull out of his most recent bout because he uh, dislocated his shoulder. And I will double check before um, I say this, but I'm almost positive that was supposed to be against Giga Chikatse. Why doesn't it say who the canceled out was against? Oh, wait. Okay. There was a rumored bout that Korean Zombie, or a rumor that Korean Zombie was supposed to fight somebody on the Seoul Korea card on February 4th, I believe it was. But that fight did not, um, he got injured. So maybe he got injured before that fight went official. Um, maybe that's why it's not on the topology canceled, but I want to say it was against Shikatse. Um, and then that card, uh, obviously, I moved out of South Korea. Um, Damon Jackson, you know, I don't know how good Damon Jackson is at MMA. I don't know where he ranks in the featherweight division. I don't know who you book him against next. Um, on one hand, I don't think he's that good. On the other hand, he beat Pat Sabatini, and I think Pat Sabatini is fairly good. So, um, both of those opinions cannot be true at the same time. Maybe you do Jackson versus Billy Quarantillo, Julian Erosa, Hakeem Dawadu. I think those are some potential names that would make sense. Um... Capulov versus Soriano. Not Soriano. Not a bad fight. Um, I don't think Capulov is as good as people say he is. Um, I, I don't think that was a good fight from Soriano um, at all. Um, Capulov is quick, has power, but he just spammed his jab for ninety percent of that fight. And Soriano couldn't move his head off the center line. He got put he put up his high guard and he got punched right in the nose 150 times because he just run in the high guard against the jab. It's not gonna work. Not in MMA. It's just not gonna work. Um and Kapilov was really able to find his rhythm. He's got quick and powerful hands, like I said. Those are his one and two best tools. Um he started to add to them. Good spinning back kick. Um I believe he got a takedown. He defended a takedown. But I heard Juliana Pena say that Roman Kapilov should be fighting someone in the top five at middleweight. It's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Um, well, all of yesterday, that is. Um, so it's like, I think Kapilov is good, but people really like Kapilov. Yes, that was a good performance, but what happens if, like, I'm, I'm not even going to speak about him fighting someone in the top five um, publicly. You know, I had that conversation last night with one of my friends, but he gets, he does not do good, right? Um, and I don't know where he lands in this division, but I think if you can get someone with better striking defense, they give him a lot of troubles, right? At the end of the day, I'm not going to get up in arms and start just absolutely going, you know, berserk for someone whose two UFC wins have come against Punale Soriano, who, you know, is three and three in the UFC. And the other came against Alessio De Chirio, who... Let's find out his UFC record. Alessio DiCirio is, and I know that's not how you say his name, but that's how I say his name because I don't particularly like Alessio DiCirio. Um, I think he's kind of not a cool guy. 
Um, Alessio DiCirio has a UFC record of 4-7. and seven And is no longer in the promotion. So I'm not going to get up in arms over Roman Kapilov being this legit fighter when he hasn't beat someone with a UFC record above 500. And he, you know, just beat the crap out of someone who didn't move his head for five rounds. He did do, I, I will, the biggest credit I can give Kapilov is that I thought he did really good avoiding those whirling shots from Soriano. He was able to avoid those looping uh, hooks that will put you to sleep, uh, which is uh, impressive. That's always a positive. I think he, he you know, I don't even think I, I was too worried about him getting hit by one at any point. And I also think he has grown in the grappling department at least a little bit. So I will always respect him to, um, I, I will expect the, I respect the improvement that he showed in that fight. But I'm not ready to start drooling over him and his potential. Pennington and Vieira. And earlier today I said, well, I'm not going to talk in depth about every single fight. And that's exactly what I've done. And we're four fights in. Um, Pennington Vieira, right? It is a close fight. I really, I don't, I, 50-50 on who won, right? They, you can score it either way. I'm not really going to argue with you. Um, I wanted Vieira to win, not because I particularly like Ketlin Vieira or, or, or dislike Raquel Pennington, but I think it's easier to sit here and justify a Ketlin Vieira 145-pound title shot than it is a Raquel Pennington 145-pound title shot. And ultimately, I would like to see um, Nunes fight another fighter at, I might have said 145 earlier, my apologies. Um, I'd like to see her fight someone at 135, right? It's easy. It would have been easier to justify a Vieira title shot if she would have won. Now we're looking at Pennington, who has won five in a row, but her last loss is to um, Holly Holm, who's currently ranked above her. And the UFC, the UFC could easily say, well, you know, Holly Holm didn't really lose to Catlin Vieira, so um, we'd like to do Holly Holm versus... Actually, did Holly Holm lose her last fight? Uh-oh, I don't really remember. Yeah, took the last fight with Kelton Vieira. Before that, she's got wins against Aldana and Pennington. Whew. I don't really want to see Pena 3 again. Ugh, what are they going to do with Nunes? This division is shambles. Um, and I don't really see any form of like, oh my God, here's an exciting prospect. Like If you look around at 125, you'd be like Tracy Cortez at 13, Barbara at 12. Uh, Casey O'Neill at 11, Aaron Blanchfield at 10, right? Fior's already worked her way up to number one in the division. She still feels like a prospect for some reason, but she's not. She's a contender. Um, but I just don't have that same level of excitement for some of these fighters in this women's bantamweight division. Um, like... For example, right now you're looking at like the closest, ugh, this is just not like, I'm not even going to talk too much about it, but this division is not in good shape at all. Please just go sign a bunch of 135 pound prospects. Please, please, 
Um, oh, Catlin Vieira. Who does Catlin Vieira fight now? Um, that why did I? Jeez. Um, who does Catlin Vieira fight now that she's lost? I don't think she needs to slide too far. I still believe she is one of the better bantamweights. Kutsayaka. I think it's returning soon, so that fight makes sense, I guess. Or you do... Do they do Pennington versus Pena as a number one contender fight? Jeez, that division sucks. Um, on a more optimistic note, Umar Nurmagomedov. Um, now 16-0 after a knockout with a left hook over Ronnie Barcelos. Um, that didn't really look like a knockout shot, so either Umar has a very, very... Um, underrated power, or Ronnie Barcelos is really just out of gas, right? Um, Barcelos, I think, had the showings of a top prospect um, to his to a point in his career, right? Beat Saeed Nurmagomedov, and he was looking like someone who could be like a legit prospect until you find out he's 35 years old and has a bunch of experience outside of UFC and in other combat sports, right? So I'm thinking that Barcelos may has may have just hit like, you know, just absolutely tapped out, um, unfortunately. But Umar, nonetheless, that was a very good performance. Um, I think that was the best uh, performance, probably the best performance of his UFC career. Probably the knockout. You know, I think that uh, Brian Kelleher performance was pretty good too, but I think Barcelos is a little bit better than, probably quite a bit better than Brian um, Kelleher, in all honesty. Now, um, um, oh, in terms of X's and O's, uh, Umar did what he does on the feet up until the knockout, right? He's not really a knockout artist. But he did a good job of switching stances, throwing the kicks, sliding in and out of range, avoiding the hands. Um, very, very good performance. It was kind of what I, I thought he'd look to grapple a little bit more. But um, nonetheless, that was a good performance. And now we're talking about what do we do with Umar Nurmagomedov. It's a very interesting question because I've seen people say Marab Devalashvili, right? That's the name that's getting tossed around. I don't think that's fair to Marab, right? I don't think you beat Jose Aldo. And then get, oh, you, you're getting like kind of rewarded, but it's more of a punishment with um, a very, very highly skilled fighter. And in all honesty, there's no reason to rush Umar right now. Um, I think he could compete in the top five, but what we don't need to happen is we don't need to rush Umar because the UFC bantamweight division is so backed up right now. You've got Eljo, and Eljo's got his next two title fights lined up. More than likely. Um, maybe even three. Because uh, he's doing Henry. Well, he shouldn't, well, he's not doing Henry. But, you know, he's got the fight with Henry. He's going to be the next fight. Sean O'Malley's going to get a title fight, right? Um, and this whole division got a wrench thrown into it because of Henry Cejudo, right? I'm glad that Henry's back. But when you have a clear number one contender, right? When Sean O'Malley beats Piotr Jan, he's a number one contender. He deserves a title shot. And even if you think he lost, the way the sport works is if you beat someone of Piotr Jan's caliber, you get his title shot. That's that's what happens, right? If someone to, if someone were to beat Robert Whitaker, right, they'd get a title shot. That's just that's just how it goes, 
right? Um, if Yair Rodriguez would have beat Max Holloway, it's a title shot. Um, anyways, um, I lost my train of thought. No, I didn't. It's back. Look at that. Um, but, um, so you've got two guys who are deserving of title shots, but you can't fight them both at the same time. So it throws a wrench in the division because you've got and so many good options. If Cheeto Vera beats Corey Sandhagen, there's another guy probably deserves a title shot, but you can justify being one off. Meanwhile, you've got the champion, Aljamain Sterling, talking about moving up to 145. So there's a lot that's going on. And even if Aljamain Sterling moves up to 145, um, he's not going to vacate and move to 145 because you want to be a double champion. So you pursue double champion status with zero intent of ever returning. And you vacate the other one once you become a double champ. So you're a double champ for 10 minutes and then in your post-fight press conference or the Monday after the fight, you say, oh, the screw bantamweight. Um Nonetheless, so we don't need to rush Umar because you can rush him if he beats Murab. Great. Now you've got three guys who deserve a title shot. And now you're sitting there going, well, do we do Sean versus Umar? But then you're like, well, that could be a title fight if Sean beats Aljo. That's a little bit, you know, you know what I mean? You would just have three guys that are all deserving of a title shot. And if, once again, if Cheetah wins, you're like, well, we've got you know, we've got a lot of guys deserving here. Maybe you do a number one contender fight if you get that many backed up. But um, I don't see the need to push Umar to 11 from 11 to 3 when you could just do Umar versus Song Yadong, right? That's a great fight. You could do Umar versus Pedro Munhouse versus Dominic Cruz, Ricky Simone. There's levels of this where you can just book him against one of those guys, which you're basically stalling, right? I think the UFC should stall with Umar until um, a good opportunity arises for them to thrust him in to a title fight, right? Because if you beat, um, <clears throat> if he beats a Simone Munoz song Cruz, now you're basically bought yourself three to six months, and then you do Marab, and if he wins, he gets a title shot. So I think just timing-wise, I, I, I think that would make more sense and be more beneficial in the long term now um boo 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 um that was the last fight on the main card one fight on the prelims we're going to talk about is javid basharat versus metausha mendonka um mendonka fighting javid basharat in his ufc debut losing he lost but i think that says a lot about mendonka but Basharat, um, give him a ranked fighter. I think his call out of Chris Gutierrez is the way to go in that one. Basharat versus Yanez, banana, but Yanez is fighting Font. Um, regardless, right, we've got, um, he should be fighting someone in that range. Um, Mendonca, I think, should now, right, get an entry-level UFC fight, right? I don't know why he was pushed so quickly to Basharat. Um, but I think now that, you know, that was his UFC debut, I was very high on him coming out of contender series. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, that was a little too much too soon. Um, maybe, you know, maybe even with Bashrod, it's like, how good is Bashrod actually right now? He's a top 15 guy. 
in my opinion. When I watch that, I, I see a top 10 guy in there. And you have Matush Mendonca, who is basically fighting a, a guy with top 15 skills in his first UFC fight. I think that is crazy to think about when you word it like that. Um, now, um, in an effort for time, one of the new things we want to do is basically stock up and stock down, right? That's the way that we're going to quickly recap some of these prelim fights so we can still address some of these things, but um, not spend 15 minutes and instead spend five because we're already an hour and 20 minutes in. Oh, no. I really don't want to do two videos of this. Um, we're just doing one. We're only posting one. Um, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Um, stock up. I think that was a good performance. Showed some skills. Hibero stock down a lot. Um, he may be an 0-3 guy of Contender Series and bounce. Um, Mateusz Rabecki stock down despite the win. Um, I think he showed some really, really good grappling in his debut. And I think he should have had a more dominant performance over Nick Fiore. But at the same time, I will give him some slack. Um, maybe we'll go stock flatline. No, no, you know, Fiore, I think, proved to be a pretty tough guy. So we'll, we'll actually change it to stock flatlined. No change. Um, Fiore, I'm going to say stock up. Um, based off the perceived perception here, I thought he was going to be a one and out in terms of UFC. I thought he was going to get absolutely blasted and um, that was going to be the end for him. Um, that isn't what happened. I didn't think he was going to make it 15 minutes and he did make it 15 minutes. So I, I guess he's, he proved to be better than my original perception of him, which I guess that makes him stock up. Um, Alan Nascimento, um, we'll say stock flatlined just because I was very high on Nascimento as well. Um, and I think he just dominantly beat someone who he was much better than. And, you know, I, I don't think that is something that, you know, I, I think that's kind of, you know what, we'll say stock slightly up because he did do it in quick fashion. Hernandez, um, we'll go stock uh, flatline as well. I didn't really know much about Hernandez before this, to be honest. Um, and I think he got a really tough task here at his hands. Um, I think we can better assess him after another UFC fight. Um, Argetta stock down. Um, Nick Aguirre stock down. Um, both of these guys, you know, Argetta I think fought well, but I don't think that Aguirre, you know, Aguirre it was a big stock down. I I don't think Aguirre looked like a UFC fighter. I don't think, you know, I, the broadcast team. This wasn't just me pointing this, but the broadcast team also mentioned he didn't seem to be super into the fight. Um, not as much effort. Um, I don't think he's as skilled. I don't think he has as much power. Um, I, I don't think he is athletic enough to be a UFC fighter. So stock very down on him. And then when you're looking at Argetta, stock down on Argetta. Cause I think that's the type of guy that you need to finish. Um, if you are a legit UFC fighter. So it was a good performance, but I just think that that's someone that you really have to put out. Um, Charles Johnson, Jimmy Flick. Um, Charles Johnson stock up. This was the first time in a while that Charles Johnson has gotten a dominant finish 
right? Um, Charles Johnson, I think, is a very good fighter, but I think that this was his most dominant UFC fight, so we'll go stack up. Jimmy Flick, um, UFC return, I think he's put in a very hard spot. Um, we're going to say stock down um, because it wasn't very competitive, but also uh, recognize the situation of him being out of the UFC for several years. Coming back, um, ring rust, some guys have it, some guys don't. Looked like Flick had a little bit of it. Um, and I don't think he was 100% uh, percent in there. I think he could do better in the future. So we will go stock down. But um, it's not an ignorant stock down. I think we do need to recognize that, you know, sometimes stocks can fall for reasonable reasons. Um, and I think that is what happened with Flick. So not out on him, but um, stock is down. I kind of like that way to wrap up the prelims. I think that's a little bit more efficient and uh, kind of encompasses uh, what happened in the fight a little bit better. Um we don't need to talk too in depth about every fight. Look at that. Um, an hour and 25 minutes. I said at the beginning of this I might cut it into two. Probably should, but I don't really want to. Um, so we're just going to post it in one big chunk. Have fun listening to it. Um, if you made it to the end, thank you very much. And uh, we will be back on Friday. I believe they, we're gonna try. I'm going to try getting it out by Friday. Um, hopefully not too late in the day. I think idea would be a record Thursday and post Friday, but, um, I want to make sure I've got all the proper knowledge to bring to you so we can do a really, really good preview for UFC 283, Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira. So, um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Join us next, next week. Goodbye.